Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. Uh, We are moving into a new series. Uh, We've been in the book of Deuteronomy. We finished that last week looking at Moses' death in chapter 34. And so today, new book, uh, 2 Timothy. And we're going to be looking at the first chapter at verses 6 through 14 today at a very particular uh, thing. There's lots of topics that could be covered in this this passage of Scripture. We are looking um, at a very specific topic that recurs several different times. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 6 through 14. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit of, not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor be of of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, for Jesus. There is absolutely nothing deficient about him. Uh, We proclaim that today, that all that is in Christ is glorious. All that is in Jesus is magnificent. Uh, Lord, we have nothing to be ashamed of you or of the gospel that saves, that is powerful, that is mighty. And Lord, so forgive us today, God, if we have any kind of shame about being a Christian, about um, the gospel about living out our faith. God, help us not to throttle back, but God, help us to throttle ahead, throttle forward um, in, the, in the pursuit of Christ and His glory. Lord, I pray for Your Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little bit of uh, context today. Uh, the book of 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. Probably one of his last writings, uh, at least the ones that we have. Uh, when he writes 2 Timothy, he's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Um, he's probably going to be executed. He knows that. He knows that he's at the end of life. In fact, one of the most famous verses of the Apostle Paul is in chapter 4 and verse 7 of this book where he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. You've probably heard that verse before. So this is kind of an end of the life uh, letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's kind of interesting. We looked at Moses' end of life last week. Today, we're starting a book that is really Paul's kind of last word that we hear from him. He's writing to a young guy named Timothy. Timothy is like a son to him. Uh, We may look at that at at another time, but uh, great relationship. He's mentored him in the faith. Uh, He's left him in Ephesus, okay? He he left uh, Timothy in Ephesus to kind of pastor the church there. And Timothy's having some struggles. We don't know all that that Timothy's struggling with, but we know he's struggling. We know that for some reason, he is wanting to throttle back in his ministry. He's wanting to pull back. He's tempted to kind of pull back in his pursuit and his proclamation, his ministry of of Christ. And and so Paul is really, really writing Second Timothy saying, man, go forward. You know, don't pull back at all. Don't, don't, don't hesitate in, in the mission and ministry that God has given you. You know, one of the great things I like about Paul is that when even he's got all kinds of stuff on his plate, he's always invested in other people. You're going to see that all through uh, Paul's life and ministry. You know, I mean, you know, maybe fixing to be executed, 
That's having something on your plate, isn't it? I mean, you, you got something to worry about. You got something to deal with. And uh, he, he's facing that. And yet his heart is to invest in this, this young guy and actually lots of young men who, who, are, who are kind of beginning their journey of faith and their ministry for, for Christ. And so that's kind of a, a context setter of the, of the book of 2 Timothy. Now, what we want to talk about today is this whole issue of ashamed, being ashamed. It, it occurs several times in this passage. Verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as prisoner. Occurs again in verse 12, where he says, But I am not ashamed, uh, for I know whom I have believed. Um, we didn't read it, but it happens again in uh, verse 16, where he talks about Onesiphorus. Uh, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And so three times in chapter 1, Paul brings up the subject of being ashamed. And so that's really what we're going to focus on today in, in chapter 1. Now let me start out by just saying, uh, and, and maybe you don't know this, maybe you do know this, but there are times in which it is a sin to be ashamed. Okay? There's times where it's not just wrong, it's not just awkward, but it is actually a sin against God to be ashamed. Now, that's, I think that's new for some people because I think a lot of people think of, of being ashamed as simply kind of a reaction. You know, walk out of the bathroom, you realize your zipper's down, everybody's laughing, you know, you, you're ashamed. You know, it's like, man, just a reaction, kind of an emotional, just boom. Okay, but, but really, shame is much deeper than that, okay? Shame is, is deeper, it really uh, depends on what you think about things, okay? What you think about what you're ashamed about. Now, before we get into to what, what he's telling us not to be ashamed about, let me just say that there are times when it is right to be ashamed. Okay? In fact, there are times when it's, it's, it's a sin not to be ashamed. So there's times where it's a sin to be ashamed. There's a time, times where it's a sin not to be ashamed. Uh, let, let me give you an example of that. If you're guilty of dishonoring Jesus, if you've plunged into immorality, maybe in your marriage, uh, if you're cruel to someone, if you lied to your family, if you've stolen from your customer, if you slandered the innocent, those are all instances where you should feel shame, okay? Friends, if you find yourself being able to live in sin and you don't, you, you, you're not ashamed of that, you don't have that, that sinking feeling in your gut of shame and guilt, if there are times where, where you live in sin and you're not ashamed, that's a bad sign for your Christian life. That, that, that's not good, okay? Shame should happen in a believer. In fact, when it doesn't, you know, Paul, Paul is, gets alarmed in, in, the, in the church at Corinth, uh, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. These guys are supposed to be a church family, They're supposed to be loving each other, taking care of each other, building Christ-centered relationships, everything that we talk about being a church about. But they're not doing that. Instead, they're at odds with one another and they're attacking each other. And it goes all the way to court. They're taking each other to court, okay, in, in their attempts to take from each other and to attack each other. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 5, here's what Paul says. He says, I say this to your shame, okay? Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute? So, so here's an instance where, where the church is not ashamed and Paul just can't fathom. He's like, why are you not ashamed? This is to your shame. You're doing this and, and as you're doing it, you should feel a deep sense of shame. Now, here's the incredibly good news. The beautiful news today for believers, and that's that shame is not forever, okay? So when we sin, we should legitimately be ashamed. But you know what? It's not forever. Here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a righteous life, and he died a substitutionary death on the cross so that, so that as I am connected to Jesus by faith and repentance, my sin goes on him. He bears my sin. He pays for it. He takes it away. And you know what, folks? He takes away the guilt of sin. And the shame of sin. The Apostle Paul did a lot of things he was not proud of. Okay? 
I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. I've done, I did things before my salvation that I'm embarrassed of. But you know what? I don't have to hang my head in shame. I don't have to walk around as a second-class Christian. I don't have to walk around and say I'm not worthy to do anything for God. You know why? Because the cross of Jesus is what makes me righteous. Okay? So, so shame, is, shame is good in, in, in times in our lives when it is a response to sin. When it's a response to I've done something I should not have done. I've dishonored the Lord. That there should be shame. But we should take it to the gospel. Take it to Jesus. He takes away our shame. Okay? So there are times that shame is good. However, what we're talking about here in chapter 1 is not those times. But, but Paul is specifically talking about being ashamed of Jesus. Okay? Being ashamed of the gospel. Being ashamed of your faith. Being ashamed of your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. That kind of shame is sin. And in fact, it's, it's actually a sign that something's deeply wrong, especially if you, you're, the other is absent. Okay, So if you're, if you're a person here today and, and you don't have shame when you sin, but, but you are embarrassed to be connected to Christ, to tell people about, about the, that you're a Christian or that you profess to be a Christian, okay, there's something really wrong. Your shame meter is like upside down. Okay, It's got bolts flying out. It's, it's, it's broken. All right? And the reason it's broken is you should never feel ashamed of Jesus. You should never feel ashamed of the gospel. You should never, you, you should never be embarrassed of Jesus Christ. And the reason is there is nothing deficient in Jesus. You see, shame is rooted in there's, there being something deficient. Okay, if you lie to somebody and it comes out, everybody knows, everybody, everybody, everybody in the office realizes you lied on your report, you got caught, it's a public thing, you feel shame. You know why you feel shame? Because your integrity is deficient, okay, and everybody sees it. You, you're low on integrity, you don't have what you ought to have, your character is deficient, your reputation is deficient. Shame is always a response to a deficiency in something, all right? Uh, our first apartment. We got it over the phone. Him and I got married uh, August 10th, 1991. And uh, went on a honeymoon. Uh, drove to Bolivar, Missouri uh, to Southwest Baptist University where I was enrolled in, uh, in, as, a, as a, uh, a Bible student, a theology student. And we got our apartment over the phone. Had never seen it. Uh, didn't have any pictures of it. Uh, when we got there, it was not an apartment. It was a junky house that had been divided up into like 10, of, 10 little I don't know what they were, you know, but I just know that I could see my neighbor's light uh, above the wall. You know, when he got home and turned on his wall, our whole top lit up because you could stick your fingers over into his apartment. All right. And he was a drummer. Wasn't that sweet? Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's just this nasty wreck of a place. And, but anyway, we were happy. We were married. It was great. It was fine. And so we're living there and we meet some folks at, at the university. We invite them over for, for uh, lunch, Sunday lunch. And so we invited some, some folks over. My wife had cooked, and, and she even brought her mother. This student brought her mother, and so there's this nice lady all dressed up and everything. They get in our little kitchen, and, and we're up, and, and I, uh, we're putting everything on the table, and I'm standing there, and a cockroach, which we had a lot of them. And, uh, you know, you'd bomb them. They, just, they could tell our, that when we bombed them, they just went to our neighbors, you know, and then they'd come back, you know. And so, I mean, there's just no way to control them. You know, we bombed them a hundred times. Anyway, couldn't, so anyway, there's cockroach. He's like, he's tearing up the refrigerator, you know. And so I did what any spiritual man would do. I said, let's pray. Let's pray for our food, you know. <laughs> and so as we're praying, I got one eye open, you know, and I'm moving over to the fridge, you know, Lord, thank you for this food, <laughs> you know. And I smashed the cockroach and... And uh, Brayden, I don't, I don't know if they ever knew, you know, but, but I was, I was embarrassed. It was humiliating because, because I felt like our apartment was deficient, you know. I mean, I mean that, 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 that's the root of shame is, is we feel like there's a deficiency. Have you, have you ever, you know, 
you did something. You, you were hired to do a job and it wasn't any good. Man, I've, I've preached sermons before and I just, I was like, man, that was, that was junk. You know what? It was like, man, I didn't study hard enough. I didn't, you know, that, it's a deficiency. We feel like this is subpar. This is substandard. There's something deficient here. And, and, and please, don't try to blame it on other people. Okay? I, I think that sometimes we, we try to say, well, I'm ashamed because they laughed at me. I'm ashamed because they they made a joke about me. I'm ashamed because they said I was stupid. Okay, that, that may be kind of um, the trigger, okay? But listen, you have to believe it to be ashamed. Does that make sense? I, I remember uh, back, back to the college days. I, we got a, I couldn't get a job there for a while. All my skills were like completely unneeded, you know? Uh, there was no tractor, truck driving, combine driving in Bolivar, Missouri. And so... But I finally got a job as a janitor, and it was a great job. It was good hours right there in the university. And so I'm outside, and I'm mopping the floor uh, one day outside the science lab. And I don't remember what happened. They must have been complaining because the, the teacher said, hey, it could be worse. You could be that guy out there mopping the floor, you know. And I told my wife that story when I got home, and, and, and I don't remember what she asked me. But I was like, no, it didn't bother me at all, you know. And here's why it didn't bother me at all. I was really happy with my job. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd been used to being out in the eastern Colorado on a tractor for 14 hours. I was in an air-conditioned building, you know, uh, with set hours, you know. And it's like, this is awesome, you know. Uh, I wasn't ashamed. Uh, I was at McDonald's the other day. I meet with guys in the morning. And I don't know if I was meeting with Fred and Freddie and showing those guys or what. But uh, I remember which day it was. But we got done, and I put my Bible under my, uh, my little uh, bungee strap. I got hooked on my scooter. And I was trying to start it, you know, it usually takes about three times, you know, I was trying to start my scooter and I look over and there's this like monster truck in the drive-thru at McDonald's. It wasn't a real monster truck, but you know, it's one of those, you know, you got to have a little step stool to get into and it's got big tractor tires on it, you know, and there, there's a couple guys in it and they're, they're, they're getting ready. They're on in line and they're, they're pointing and they're laughing at me. You know, first I was like, who are they laughing at? But I was the only one there, you know, and I was like, well, my clothes, my hair, like, oh, it's my scooter, you know, they're laughing at my scooter. Okay. And so, but here's the deal, you know, I just kicked up the kickstand and shot out right in front of them. Man, when you got a scooter, you can go anywhere, you know. I mean, you don't got to wait in line, you just weave in and out, you know. And I just shot out and, man, I was laughing the whole way. Because you know what? I'm not ashamed of my scooter. I'm getting 65 miles a gallon. They're getting 6.5 miles a gallon. You tell me who's dumb, all right? (laughs) Tell me who's got the bad deal. So what I'm saying is people can, people can try to heap shame on you, but listen, don't, you, you got to believe, you got to be convinced. If you're ashamed, it's because you're convinced that something is sufficient. Let me give you a great example of that. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, 40 and 41, uh, the disciples got called into the Sanhedrin. And in verse 40, it says, when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, please think about that, okay? Think about getting brought in to the, to the courthouse, okay, and being beaten publicly, all right? See, we just don't have any capacity for that. You know, we don't have any capacity to realize, what would that be like, you know? What would it be like for, you know, James and David and I to get called in and for men to just, you know, pummel us, you know, and for us to walk out of the police station bleeding, you know, closed rib, big blood spot, you know, and, and basically we'd, we'd been beaten. We were criminals to some degree. You know, I mean, that, that's the way we were treated. We were treated like you guys are so bad that we had to beat you and, 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 and humiliate you. And now we're letting you go. Okay. Listen to what the apostles do. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. You hear that? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer honor, dishonor for the name. For, for Jesus' name. Listen, they, they were not shamed. 
I mean, they tried to shame them, but, but they, were, they were rock solid convinced. Look, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. You see, for you to be ashamed, you must believe there's some sort of deficiency in Jesus. And my friends, that is not the truth. And so Timothy has people telling him, look, Jesus is a criminal. Jesus is a fake. Jesus is a fraud. You shouldn't be preaching Jesus. You're a criminal. You know, you're no good. Paul is in prison. I mean, Paul is sinning in prison because of his connection to Jesus. Whenever you think about somebody in prison, you think about somebody who's done something wrong. Okay? So everybody thinks that these Christians are prisoners or these Christians are, 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 are guilty of something. They're, they're deficient in something. They're Bible thumpers, Jesus freaks, religious fanatics. People can try to put that on you. But listen, unless you are convinced that Jesus is deficient... You will not be ashamed. And my friends, let me tell you, he is anything but deficient. Okay. In fact, the Bible says that he is glorious. We talk about this all the time, don't we? He's glorious. What does that mean? That means in, in every virtuous ca- category, in every virtuous characteristic, be it power or, or love or grace or mercy or justice or holiness or adventure or thrill or satisfaction, Jesus is to the infinite degree that. Okay. Not only is he not deficient. He is glorious in every single category. All right. So there's nothing deficient about Jesus. So for you to be ashamed about Jesus, you've got to believe a lie about who he is and what he's done because everything he's done is glorious. Listen to what Paul says here. Verse nine, he's describing. So verse eight, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. In verse nine, he says, who saved us. You know, sometimes words, we use them so much, they lose their the spike, you know, who saved us. See, we think when we think saved us, okay, you became a Christian. Who saved us? What does it mean to save somebody? And is that ever, is that ever a shameful thing? You know, when someone's perishing and, and, and they get in there and get rescued, is that, is that shameful? People embarrassed of that? You guys remember a year or so ago when that cargo ship was hijacked by those pirates? Remember that? And uh, a lot of the crew got off, but that captain was still on there. You know, he, he bought, kind of bargained for, for all, all of his men to be let go. But he was still on, they, they still had him. They're threatening to kill him. You know, he tries to escape that one time. He jumps off and then they, they, they get him. It's a failed escape. And, you know, they think he's going to die. There's a ransom or whatever they want. And the Navy SEALs come in there. Remember that? They shoot those guys through the portholes, you know. And, and you know, they shoot those guys and, 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 and the captain is saved. Was that embarrassing? Absolutely not. Man, I was like, wow, those guys are cool, you know. I'm glad the Navy SEALs are on our team, you know. I mean, that, that's, that's a rescue. That's, that's, they were saved. Listen, death had you by the throat. Sin had you by the throat. It's taking you down. You've got no way out. You're perishing. And Jesus comes in and lives a righteous life and then dies a, a humiliating crucifixion death to pay the penalty for your sins. He stays on the cross by, by the power of his might. He could have got off at any moment. He stays up there and pays for your sins and then raises from the dead. And you're joined to him, saved. Is that glorious? That is glorious. Friends, I, I dare, tell me, what is deficient about that? What's embarrassing about that? What's small about that? What's wimpy about that? What's, what's in any way negative about that? Look what he says in verse 9. He saved us. And then he calls us to a holy calling. Okay? The God of the universe calls me into this calling, into this, this mission of God. Wow. 
The God of the universe says, Jason, I got a mission for you. You're coming in me. You're coming in into my kingdom, in, into my mission. You, you're you're going to serve me. That's incredible. I mean, imagine getting that call. Is there anything deficient about that? Is there anything embarrassing about that? Is there anything small or wimpy or evil about that? No. Man, we, we're so proud of such other small callings. You know, if someone calls you and says, hey, I'm from the Olympic Committee. I'd like for you to run the Olympic torch from Woodward to, to Moreland. Man, you're like, wow, what a call. But then if you're like me, that's, that's 10 miles. Say, I'll just run it from McDonald's to Sonic. You know, it's all downhill. It's like four blocks, you know. But wouldn't you be excited? Man, the God of this universe has called you into his own family, into his own mission. What's, what's deficient about it? Look at verse 10. Which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. (laughs) That is one of the coolest phrases in the New Testament. Jesus abolished death, you know. He sends out a memo after the resurrection. Hey guys, death is over. You know, no more death. By the way, we abolished that. We rendered it inoperative. That's what the word means. Death no longer means death for us, okay. Death was separation from God. Death was separation from life. Death was to be placed in hell forever and ever in the absence of God, in the absence of his gifts, in the absence of life. Death does not mean that anymore for believers. It doesn't mean anything like that, okay? For believers, Christ has abolished death, and now he said, you know what death means? Death means you go from this crummy life, you go from the rest home, you go from the ventilator, you go from Dr. Kirkendall looking over you going, you know, you go from that to the glory of Jesus' side. Psalm 1611 says, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. What's deficient about that? What are you going to criticize about that? What are you going to say? Well, man, that's well, that all he did, you know, abolish death. Real, real. That's it. I mean, can you find anything that's small about that? No. He goes on in verse 10. It says he abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Immortality, my friends. Life forever, immortal. That's what people dream about. They're going to make up stories about it because it's so, it's so awesome and they can't fathom it. But for Jesus, it's real. Jesus did that. He, he brought life and he brought immortality. Friends, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing deficient about Jesus. So for you to be ashamed about Jesus means that you've bought a lie, Okay. You've listened to somebody saying something they know nothing about and you've embraced it to be true in order for you to be embarrassed or to be ashamed of Jesus. Paul says, and look at at what he says in verse 12. He says, I know who I believed. He said, verse 12, I'm not ashamed for I know, I know whom I have believed. And we sing that great song, you know, I know whom I have believed and then persuaded he's able. Wow, that's, that's a good song. I know whom I believe, okay? And so, so in, in verse 6, basically what, what, Paul's telling Timothy, man, how can you throttle back? How can you throttle back? Considering what we know about Jesus, how can you pull back? Timothy, I know you're you're tempted because of the opposition. You're tempted because of what other people think of you. You're tempted because of how hard it is. You're tempted to throttle back in your ministry. In verse 6, he says, this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
We're getting ready to go on our family camping trip. I'm in Colorado. And Avery's one request, which this is kind of going to be a big one, is that we can have a campfire. You know, she asked me that. Said, Dad, can we have a campfire? I said, well, honey, there's a burn ban on most of the western United States, but we will look for a glacier or something. You know, we'll, we'll, Daddy will try his best, all right? But hopefully we'll be able to have a campfire. And if we do, you know how that starts. You know, you, if you finally get that little bitty flame started, you're not content with that because you can't, you know, there's seven of us. You can't, five kids can't roast marshmallows on a little flame, you know? So what do you do? You got to fan it into flame, right? You, you know, you got a little flame. You got to get a big flame. You got to give us some oxygen. You got to give us some fuel. And so Paul is telling Timothy, man, don't throttle back. There's some of you, you're in a season of life. And I know this happens where you're tempted to, to pull back on, on, on your pursuit of Jesus, to pull back on, on your service to Christ, to pull back on, on, on your ministering. And man, those are just seasons of life. They're real. I see it in people's lives when, when their kids get a certain age and things happen in their life and their life shifts. There's always that temptation for whatever reason to pull back. And what Paul is telling Timothy is don't pull back. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit has not given you a spirit of timidity. In verse 7, he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. That word fear means to be timid. It means to be iffy. It means to draw back. Man, we don't have that spirit. But rather, the Holy Spirit has given us a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. Man, get our eyes off of ourselves and off of other people and put them on God. Put them on the Spirit of God who's given us the spirit of power. So many times when we're ashamed of the gospel, it's because we're not looking at the right people, okay? We're not looking at the right one. We're either looking at other people, which is a really disastrous way to live. Man, I, I tell you, it is bondage to live your life caring what other people think. Okay? That is that is so enslaving. And, and man, I, I'm not saying that I'm free of it. I'm not free of it. But I can tell you, I, there was a pivotal time in my life where it was like God took that, that off of me. Okay, And I cannot, that is one of the most freeing things I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, I, I grew up being so concerned about what everybody thought of me and, and, and wanting to be exactly what everybody liked. And even after I became a Christian, I was still concerned about what people thought. I remember coming back to my hometown uh, after I'd left for college and, and and I'd become a Christian. Everybody knew it. You know, I spoke at a crusade. So it was like, we live, we live in a small town. So everybody knew it. And I was so afraid of bumping into people that I used to hang with. And sure enough, I pulled into a convenience store. Here, their car pulled in. They got out. Oh, man. I just sunk. My heart just sunk because I knew it was going to happen. And sure enough, man, they, 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 the mocking was high, you know. And, and, and I remember just being ashamed. You know, I took it okay, but I was just being ashamed. Man, I tell you what, a year or two later, God just took that off of me. Now, man, when, when, when they start mocking, I chase them down. Yeah, hey, come, let's talk about this, you know. You're still dragging Maine after 20 years. Yeah, that's cool, all right. And I got immortality, all right. Let's see who's got the deal here, all right. I mean, man, it's just freeing not to care what other people think, not to live by what other people think of you and not to live by what you think of yourself either. I mean, I think that's part of what he's telling Timothy here is you've got the spirit of power and love and, and, and self-control or sound mind or sober judgment. I think what he's saying is, man, Timothy, don't buy into this whole, well, you know, I do the ministry of God, but I don't talk very well. You know, I don't speak very well. You know, I, I don't this well. I'm not good with kids. I'm not that. I mean, people got a thousand excuses. All that is is navel gazing, folks. That's all that is. It is just being consumed with yourself and looking at yourself. 
Paul tells Timothy, man, look at the spirit of God in you. He's given you not a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. So ramp it up, Timothy. Ramp it up because of what God has put in you. And do not ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. That last word there is a really interesting word where he says, God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That word self-control is variously translated in this passage. Some of you may have a Bible that says sound judgment or sober-mindedness. But in Romans 12, 3, I think it gives a great explanation of that verb. I'm sorry, that word. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That word sober judgment, that's the word. Okay, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In other words, don't, don't set your mind on yourself. Get your mind on the glory of Jesus, okay? That's how we defeat this shame thing. Is not by looking at others, not by looking at ourselves. Get it on Jesus, because when it's on Jesus, there's nothing deficient about Jesus, okay? You're, you're going to be ramped up. You're going to be revved up. You're going to be excited. You're going to be thrilled. You're, you're, you're going to be ready, uh, enthusiastic about the things of God. Now, it's interesting where Paul leads Timothy. He says in verse 8, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but, notice this, share in suffering for the gospel. Now, why would he say share in suffering? Okay? It's almost like that is the opposite of being ashamed. All right, now, now, how does that work? I'm trying to think about this in my mind yesterday. Okay, so if I'm not ashamed of Jesus, that means I'm going to share in suffering. So does that mean, okay, Jesus, I'm not ashamed of you, so now I've got to go find some suffering, you know? I got to go find those guys in the in the big uh, uh, monster truck and insult them so they'll beat me up and I'll be su- I'll suffer. You know, I mean, is that the way this works? I mean, how does how does just not being ashamed automatically result in suffering? I I don't think it says go look for suffering. You know what I think it means? I think he's saying Timothy, as you fan the flame of ministry in your heart, as you as you hit the throttle on your spiritual life, as you go full blast, what that means is there's nothing that's going to dampen your enthusiasm. There's nothing that's going to stop you. You know how it is when you hit the throttle. What happens? You hit the throttle until what? Opposition, discouragement, persecution, um, people that don't agree with you, people you know, say something. There's always something that causes you to throttle back. Okay, And so what I think he's saying is, man, Timothy, don't be ashamed, but rather do whatever it takes to pursue Christ, even if that means suffering. Be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs you personally. Don't let anything dampen your enthusiasm. Being ashamed will dampen your enthusiasm more than anything else. Have you ever felt shame? You know what it does? There's almost a physical thing in you where it just like zaps your strength. Have you, have you, you know what I'm talking about? It just like completely zaps your strength. Um, I remember um, when I got my first car. I was 14 years old. Been working in eastern Colorado, western Kansas, driving truck and tractor and combine. And was able to get, man, a sweet car. Red, black stripes on the bottom. It was a Ford bobcat you know what that is pin with a spoiler you guys have heard me talk about my bobcat i've talked about this before did you have one jeff they were awesome it was four cylinders of power okay uh if you don't know what a pinto is well i was at the last service but, you know a lot of young people at fifth street they're all like pinto pinto, pinto. i'm like Man, you got to Google that because you are i mean if you don't know what a pinto is you you're missing out in life but anyway so i got my pinto Okay, with a spoiler, Bobcat. I'm driving it everywhere. I mean, I've got enthusiasm. I've got joy. I want to drive. I want to pick everybody up. It's always my car, you know, and I got a buddy with me and we're dragging around Scott City, Kansas, and we pull into the ballpark and and he knows this this upperclassman girl. And we kind of pull in. He, he knows this upperclassman girl. And he's like, hey, I think her name was Tish, Tish Krug. And she's really pretty. She's an upperclassman, you know. And she's like, who, who, oh. She goes, 
is that your car? And I said, yeah. And she's like, that is the cutest little thing. I was like, oh, man, shame. She's laughing at my car. She called it a cute little thing. I didn't want to drive my car. I still did. I was stuck with it for until I could buy another one. But, but I didn't want to drive. I wanted to take it. I had no enthusiasm, no motivation, no. It just like zapped it out of me. All of a sudden, I was embarrassed to have it out. Friends, that's what shame will do to you. Man, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to run hard for Jesus at your workplace, you're trying to run hard for Jesus at your school, you, try, you know what? Shame is the thing that's going to take all the wind out of your sails. Okay? If you buy this lie that there's something deficient about Jesus, that Jesus doesn't satisfy, that Jesus is, is worthless, that, that forgiveness is stupid, that the Christian life is, 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 not, is not fulfilling. If you buy that lie, if you let people convince you of that and you have shame, you know what it's going to do? It's going it's to throttle you clear back in your Christian life. Now, friends, let me, let me end with, with this thought. This is a big deal. And I, I think the tendency maybe so far is to say, okay, this is Paul, a pastor, talking to Timothy, a pastor, you know, about, you know, preaching the gospel, sharing, evangelizing. There's, there's a big tendency for someone to say, this is not me, okay? Oh, my friends, this is you. Let me tell you why this is you. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to focus on those last three words, in Christ Jesus. Here's something you're going to see all the time. You read through the book of Ephesians, you're going to see in Christ, in him, in Christ Jesus, over and over again. You know why? Because it's a doctrinal reality that the only way that you and I are saved is by being in Jesus, being connected to Jesus, okay? Here's what happens. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a substitutionary death. Jesus rose from the dead. And your hope, and my hope is to be connected to Jesus. The way that we are connected to Jesus is through faith. It's through repenting of our sins, putting our faith in him, and then we are joined to Jesus Christ so that his righteousness goes into our account and our sin goes into his account. So the only way that we are righteous before God is that we are in Christ Jesus, just like verse 9 said, okay? Now, let me read you two verses and then we'll talk about them, okay? Two passages, Mark eight thirty-eight. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, right now, living your life, okay? Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. There's two places there. Right now, you're living on earth, your job, your school, your friends, your neighborhood. The second place is the judgment seat of Christ when Christ comes back. Let me read you another one. These are all over, by the way. Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, before men right now, you go to lunch, you go to Walmart, your family reunion, your friendship gathering, your neighborhood, okay? Whoever acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Judgment day, it's coming. But whoever denies me before men, right now, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. Whenever you're ashamed of Jesus, you know what you're doing? You're trying to put a little distance between you and him. 
You, you don't want a close connection. You see, whenever you're ashamed of Jesus, when you walk in and there's all your buddies and, and your workplace or whatever, and, and, and there, there's, there's, there's a statement made about Christianity or whatever, if you're ashamed, what you're wanting to do is you're wanting Jesus to be away from you. Okay, You're saying, I, I want you to see me apart from Jesus. I don't want you to connect me with Jesus. I don't want you to see me and see a Bible thumper. I don't want you to see me and see, see a, a Christian, a religious person. I, I don't want you to see me with Jesus. So you try to get a little distance from him. It's kind of like if you ever, you ever had somebody you were kind of embarrassed with and they were with you and you didn't want them to be with you and, and you went somewhere public and you tried to ditch them, you know, you try to get a little distance, but you don't want to be seen with them. Okay. That's what, it, that's what it means to be ashamed of Christ. Okay. And so the first part of both of those passages were this, if you put distance between you and Jesus now, okay, if in your life, in your school, in your work, if your, if your thing is, man, I don't want people to know I'm a Christian. I want to hide that. I want to downplay that. I want to minimize that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to be associated with Christ because there's going to come a day when Christ's going to come back and almighty God is going to judge sin. And in case you did not know this, you are a sinner. The wrath of Almighty God is going to come down upon sinners. And in that day, my friends, your prayer is not going to save you. In that day, you having a Bible is not going to save you. In that day, you being, being a religious person is not going to save you. In that day, you, you going to church is not going to save you. The only thing that will save you in that day is your connection to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what I'm going to be doing on the judgment day. I'm going to be snuggling Jesus, all right? As the wrath of God is coming down, I'm going to say, Jesus, you know, it's me and you, you know, right here. Can, can, can I get in the robe, you know? I mean, I, I, want, I want right here. Get your arm around me, Jesus, because when the wrath of God comes down, I want Jesus saying, this one is mine. We are connected, Father. He's with me. I can't imagine that Jesus would say that, but the Bible says he's going to. He's going to say, he's with me. Now, friends, how awkward is it going to be when the wrath of God is coming down and you're the, the, the desperate cry your heart is, Jesus, I'm with you. How awkward is it going to be when Jesus is going to make known that your whole life you were stiff arming him? Jesus, I don't want to be connected with you. Let's keep, this, let's keep this faith thing at church, Jesus. But when I go out in public, I'm not going to mention you. If someone does mention me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the subject. I'm going to minimize it. I'm going to downplay it because I, I don't want to be connected with you. And I think what those passages are saying is, if you don't want to be connected with him here, you're not going to be connected with him there. I think what those passages are saying is, you know what? If you have no desire to be associated with Jesus right now, if, if you just wanted to make some sort of profession of faith because you were scared of hell, but you really didn't want to be connected to Jesus in your everyday life, probably you're not connected to him. And that, my friends, is a heavy thing. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for Jesus. Everything about Jesus is awesome. We profess that today. Jesus, you're glorious in every way. You are mighty in every way. Uh, everything in you, Jesus, is glorious. And Lord, we, we pray, Father, God, make us bold in our connection to you. Make us bold in our, our display of you. God, I pray that we might, we might put you on display in our lives, that we might exalt you in our lives, that we might walk around pointing to Jesus, displaying Jesus. And Jesus, I just want to say thanks. thank you. Thank you for your promise on Judgment Day. 
that, that you're going to profess me as being connected to you. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. God, please move people today. Move them to respond to you, to, to seek you, to, to pursue with all their might that connection, that faith connection with you. And, and Lord, put them on mission. God, make us bold. Make us bold in our school. Make us bold in our work. Make us bold in our neighborhood. God, I pray, keep us from throttling back. God, help us to, to hit the gas. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.